0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Thomas Watson from Australia, who has been listening to It's Rainmaking Time and listened to a particular show called Sea Level Basics with Dr. Warner about how the science of measuring sea level is not what we're being told and more. He left a most interesting comment, so interesting to me that after the 30 segments I've done in climate and weather, I wanted to bring him on to talk about his findings about magnetism and how the Earth and the Moon is in a magnetic field. He tells me that he's a young 83 year old, an aviation draftsman, and was a sergeant in the Air Force. He was also involved in International Harvest. And in September 2012, he was considered the researcher of the year by Who's Who. He is a VIP researcher, and he also is considered a research scientist. A research scientist studies one or more of the sciences. He has just completed a book called A Fresh Approach to Magnetism, and also has a scientific paper called Why We Are Experiencing Global Warming. And now he has a most recent publication called Climate Change, Explained by Magnetism. He has an enthusiasm for physics and a classic approach to the study of science. He's a self-taught person in a lot of areas. He's extremely articulate. He's had some profound life experiences. And his input on its rainmaking time led me to invite him to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Thomas Watson to its rainmaking time. Good morning in Australia
1: morning to you and the afternoon.
0: (laughs) Where are you in Australia?
1: We are down in the lower parts of Victoria in a suburb called Doorpost Hill, which is a little town of Geelong, which is about 75 kilometres away to Melbourne, the capital of Victoria. And it is not the little island down the south part of Australia, which is known as Tasmania. In Victoria at the moment... We are bathed in a blue sky, no wind, and the temperature outside is about 18, and the barometric pressure here is about 1,020.
0: Geez, I feel like I'm in an airplane with you. Okay, now, why is it that you're saying that the gravitational field and this Newtonian concept is not correct with respect to the Earth and the Sun? Why do you say we live in really a magnetic field and not a gravitational field?
1: well that 's an interesting one that i 'm sure Einstein would love to have the answer to, where I have established a link in the ratio between the electron to the nucleus of all atoms, and that ratio is what we have identified as basically nine point eight or thirty two feet per second per second whatever whatever what I have established is a formula to determine the magnetic effects of all the atomic structures, the elements and the molecules and whatever. And that particular relationship there then generated the fact that our Earth is orbiting our sun in a magnetic field. And our moon is also emitting a magnetic field. And the whole thing is a spectrum of activities between a positive and a negative magnetic field. There's nothing unlikely. The human attraction between a male and a female person. This is the thing that is driving our total Earth. And that the term gravity is, I won't say an arrogant term, but it is a term that's been used because Newton saw an apple fall down and he said, well, there must be a force there for that apple to fall down too. And where I have come from is that I can show that that apple was attracted to the Earth as the Earth was attracted to the apple. And so you've got this a simile of re-educating our belief that the magnetic fields controlling our total system allows us then to appreciate an understanding of the fact that our moon oscillates between the poles of our Earth and not going over the magnetic poles of the Earth. I know I've covered a lot of little simile bits there, but it's all interwined in together to make this happen.
0: When did the lights go on for you that we're living in a magnetic field? I think a lot of people now would probably agree with that, but they probably would have trouble accepting that we're not living in a gravitational field because that's the main belief, that's the main ideology. When did you discover that in your findings it's magnetic? And how come you're so sure about it?
1: To answer the first one, I was attending an open at Stedford at a little town just outside of Geelong here called Ballarat. We were performing there and I uh, went out with a mate out to the back and I saw this bright light and it was moving quite briskly. This whole period of time took about four and a half to five seconds of time and I said to myself, oh God, the moon's gone out of orbit. But it wasn't, the moon was still up there and I viewed a UFO, and it was a bright white spherical shape with an extremely white glow on the outside of it with a pinkish glow in the middle, and I said to myself, we are doing something wrong here in the scientific world, and it took me another four years to find a common denominator, and that common denominator turned out to be the electrons or the atom structures. No matter what we do with our life, the electron doesn't know how to die and that's part of our spirit of life, (laughs) in a sense. We went on to establish the fact that the magnetic field coming from a permanent magnet, for instance, and any school child or person can determine this little experiment at home if they have a permanent magnet and what they call a button magnet, which has a positive and a negative faces to each other. And what we can do there is that um, because we are taught at school that a, another object can attach itself to a pole or a permanent magnet, that life is not stationary. It is always on the move. And so with a button magnet, if you give it a little push some distance away, it will roll around and come to the middle of the magnet and then be pushed from the middle of that magnet to the pole. And this is the little experiment that I'm expressing in my books. Did you notice that one when you,
0: in your time? Yes, but most of the people listening don't have the book in front of them. Of course. Talk about how this relates to what you're saying.
1: It's very difficult to put into words for me. <laughs> if we had television, I'd be able to show it to you in about 10 seconds on a, on a chat. I
0: mean, the bottom line is you saw a UFO. And when did your revelation come about the magnetic field?
1: The effects of the magnetic field came from the little experiment which I just tried to outline for your listeners to uh, do at home. Yes. Because this determined the magnetic effects of being taught in the universities and tech schools and whatever, that the external magnetic field came from the north magnetic field to the south magnetic field towards the North Pole to the South Pole, if you like. And I have since found that that is not true. And this changes the whole concept of a lot of magnetic motors and all this sort of thing, because the magnetic field is being produced from both poles. And this is why our moon, for instance, oscillates between the poles. It gets pushed from one section to the other section. And while we're talking of the moon here at the moment, the moon has a face facing us all the time,
0: right? Yes.
1: And that face is putting out a positive magnetic field, and that magnetic field is reactive to out in, up in, where you are in the northern hemisphere, as, and that is creating all those very high tides that you have up there, got something like 15 meters in them that particular tidal effect is because you've got the positive and the negative part of the northern hemisphere being attractive and that is when the moon is at its lowest orbital position and so you've got all these factors all tying in together and it has nothing to do with gravity and when the moon gets down to the southern hemisphere it gets a positive positive push which pushes it away which makes it at its highest altitude from the earth and that creates its orbital oscillations around the Earth. And likewise, our Earth is orbiting on the phasing of the sun, and that's another big picture again. It just goes on and on and on. I'm sorry if I'm being uh, rough here, but I'm trying to work in a picture format in in the way that your listeners would be hopefully uh, understanding, hopefully.
0: Do you think that NASA already knows what you're describing?
1: I'm sure they do. And that's probably why they've cancelled their last rocketry uh, operation. Why? They've got other activities that are uh, reducing. Should we say levitation? And uh, I have seen a video of, of a, a system that is operating somewhere around there that reminds me of, of what people are referring to as UFOs.
0: I don't understand what you said. What is your point about what you were saying about levitation?
1: Well. If you have a positive magnetic field permanent magnet opposed to another permanent magnet having a positive magnetic field emission, then you have a repulsion. Okay? You, they won't come together. Right. So, levitation is that basic principle. And all you have to do now is to design a vehicle that has the ability to generate internally a magnetic field equal to that of the magnetic field of the Earth's output, and that will give you levitation. And this is the basic principle of what these UFOs have been identified as, as being able to equalize the magnetic field being emitted from the Earth, and that gives them their weightless effect, if you like. This is how these ufos have been able to fly through the air through our atmosphere and our earth is doing exactly the same thing in its orbital pattern around the sun and our moon is doing exactly the same thing with its oscillating orbit around our earth i've got a picture there for you yes
0: yes so now if in fact, the gravitational field concept is erroneous or just inadequate. Why isn't what you're talking about more well-known? Probably in the classified projects, it's obvious. And probably with some government activities, deep government activities, it's obvious. But if you can demonstrate what you're talking about, why wouldn't more people adapt it, do you think?
1: Well, In the back of the book there, you've got a picture of a device which I've called the TW5, and that lost 14 physical pounds during its operation. Of course, its weight came back when it stopped, but it was actually reacting to the magnetic field emissions of the Earth, and that, in a very small scale, was a practical demonstration of losing weight. In physics books and that sort of thing, They all show a circular wheel running at right angles or square to the rotation of its action, whereas I have angled off that particular wheel, and that wheel, as it spins, it oscillates.
0: Okay. Let me read to the audience what you said about sea level basics, because this is how I found out about you. You put here, interesting and absorbing for what has not been linked to the whole debate is that our moon has a positive magnetic flow coming from its face, facing Earth. And this is generating the variable tidal effects between the two hemispheres of Earth. This combination is why our moon has a full face facing the northern hemisphere, known as the full moon. And this is also when the tidal effects of the sector of Earth experiences tidal effects of over 15 meters at the 50-degree latitude areas. Then you go on to say, interesting here is that when the moon is oscillating and orbiting over the southern hemisphere of Earth, the tidal effects are not as severe, indicating the proof that the moon has now gone to its highest altitude from Earth, telling us that the two magnetic flows from the moon's face is opposing that, you put here, OG, that the positive magnetic flow from the southern hemisphere or magnetosphere. There is no gravity flow here, only magnetic interferences, proving that the external magnetic flow from the earth is pushing the moon back and forth between the two magnetic flows from earth, the magnetic poles, and it has been proven by me that it's a natural effect of nature as has been since time began, and foils the taught principle of Fleming's continuous magnetic flow laws. You also put, I have also shown that our Earth is totally responsible for this seasonal change because of these characteristics, learning that is now in book format and must be expanded by those eager to read into what is actually happening within the intergovernmental panel on climate change, for I have shown and proven that carbon dioxide has not and cannot change The orbital position of the Earth, and because of this fact, we are being fraudulently brainwashed into believing that we are responsible for this situation. You then write another paragraph. you want me to read that paragraph?
1: (laughs) Well, that hurt. You're doing a very good job there
0: for me. (laughs) For those out there who wish to contact me, please feel free to do so, for I will forward you my latest short paper that shows conclusively that our Earth is in total control of its seasonal change and that carbon dioxide is a heavy gas with the atomic weight of 44. And when in free still air conditions, the gas will only rise 3.54 feet or about one meter in height above sea ground level. You can check this out yourself by observing how dry ice is sold as a fire retardant. Think about it. Why would the fire department use it if the gas went up to heaven? It is sold and housed in an open container with walls about four feet high and an open top. We are ponds being used to make people rich. What are you prepared to do about it? The seas are not rising. It is the tectonic plate expanding activity. That gives this impression. I want you to explain that last part.
1: I'm sure that every one of your listeners would, if they went outside, they'd see a grain of sand, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Or a grain of earth. That earth was once a solid rock. And it takes the earth to expand from its closed up state. And over the eons of years, the earth is still expanding. The west coast of Australia was once part of the east coast of India and the east coast of Africa. The Antarctic was part of what we call the Great Australian Bite, and this is part of the fact of the Earth expanding and the Earth is still expanding and because it is still expanding we have given the term of each segment of the Earth's crust is classified as being a tectonic plate. For instance, the tectonic plate of Australia is still under the oceans, of the Indian Ocean, is connected to the Indian state. This particular plate is still on the rise. In other words, it's still coming out of the level of the ocean. Now, the islands that are claiming, and the IPCC are claiming that the oceans are rising, but in actual fact, what is physically happening is because the Earth is still expanding, The tectonic plates are being stretched, if you like. If you put your hands together, make a fist and put your fist together and push up a little bit and then push your elbows out, you'll see your hands coming lower. And this is physically what is happening in these islands where they are associated to these tectonic plates or these high, hot areas. Tectonic plate that is physically going below the waves, not the other way around.
0: What's the point about
1: carbon dioxide? A money making concern. <laughs> carbon dioxide is a colourless gas. It has no odour. It's a heavy gas. And as you've already said, it has a total atomic weight of 44. The atmosphere we are looking at, or looking through at the moment, has an average atomic weight of 29. That's all the other gases involved in, that makes up the atmosphere. So it's impossible for carbon dioxide, which is a molecule, to rise up into that area. There's a Swedish group of scientists who have shown that over the period of time, the cosmic rays coming from our galaxy and our sun generate into the nitrogen atoms of our atmosphere. And that nitrogen hits into a carbon and that turns it into a carbon 14 and then it continues on and picks up two oxygen elements which makes up the carbon dioxide molecule. And so you've got this happening all the time and this can be proven right, going right back to 450 odd thousand years ago with a group of people up there in the northern, um, northern Russia in the Vostok Ice core area and they had drilled into the Ice cores and found that what physically is happening is that carbon dioxide is a colorless gas. It has no odor and it has an atomic weight of 44, made up of hydrogen and carbon. Carbon 12 and hydrogen 16, and two 16s are 32, and 12 is that's where the 44 comes from. Now, this particular gas can go right back to 450 odd thousand years ago and it is on a cycle a natural cycle of the earth which averages somewhere about between 110 to 120 thousand year cycles and we are at the end of one of these cycles right now, the 22nd of December this is where the sun is going through the middle of the Milky Way and this is all another facet to, to magnetism but anyway What I'm trying to say is that carbon dioxide is a natural cycle, and without it, we would not have the green grass, we would not have the green trees, we would not have anything around to look at to beautify our environment. And it's just one of these things that the governments and the IPCC and your Mr. Al Gore has tried to frighten the people into the fact that our oceans are going to be rising and they're not.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. No matter what the state of the economy is, there will always be time-honored traditions and special events. The Sterling Hut has been in business since 2008, offering a wide range of fantastic sterling silver products, including finely crafted mint julep cups, personalized baby shower gifts, photo albums, exquisite jewelry boxes and awards, and so much more. The Sterling Hut is an authorized Silver Star international reseller of fine silver products and anniversary gifts. The business is owned by Jewel and Bob Howard. If you would be interested in buying someone a gift of pure sterling silver or sterling plated silver, you can call 1-888-819-1009. Get a 15% discount by going to the Sterling Hut, the Sterling, S T E R L I N G, hut, h U T dot com, and saying it's rainmaking time. They will honor a 15% discount for you. Beautiful sterling silver gifts for all of life's occasions, manufactured in Italy and handcrafted by skilled artisans. They can also be engraved in sterling picture frames, oval and rectangular silver trays, champagne ice buckets, silver goblets. Coffee and tea service, coffee pots, silver mugs, candelabras, and silver jewelry unrivaled in design and style. Go to the Sterling Hut at sterlinghut.com and back to the show. There's been a lot of news here in the U.S. that the poles are melting. The Arctic, Antarctic, one part of it is melting. I get emails about this every day.
1: Going back to 1442, 43, 44, my memory's right. There was a fleet of uh, Chinese boats or sailing boats circumnavigated the world, and they went over the northern parts of Russia and across the Greenland. And this is a natural cycle of things melting. It's like a sine wave, if you like. It's doing one thing, then it does the other. And it's a natural cycle that has the ability of... Would your listeners be aware of a cantilever?
0: You Maybe,
1: but go ahead. A cantilever is like a balcony on a home. In some cases, they have supports underneath them, but in other cases, they are virtually free. Now, in the northern hemisphere, you've got these very high tidal effects created by the moon's activity. And these activities, if you have ice attached to the land masses, like, shall we say, in Greenland, then these tidal effects would undermine the sheets of ice on the water. And this then creates a fact of a bending moment and these sheets will break off and this is where you get the icebergs from. And this particular cycle, it's a natural one and one that we have no control about. But the ice melting, yes, because in the northern hemisphere, all the winters there will become warmer at this moment And all the summers will become cooler. And this is the same thing that's happening down here. For instance, locally, I'm a lawn bowler. And last Saturday week, we were stopped because of heat. And last Saturday, we were stopped because of rain. And this is what is happening now. Last summer, we had 374 mils of rain during our summer of the 1st of December to the end of February. And this is most unusual for this particular period of time, but this is happening because of the fact of our Earth orbiting through what I call the positive heliosphere of the sun. And because of this, it changes the barometric pressures to a low area, and this is what is happening today. We have a lovely sunny day here, but the high is 1,020 and not 1,035 or 1,040 as it has been one or two decades ago. So you've got this situation of some scientists saying that the ice is melting. Okay, yes it is, because it's in their summit period, and it's a natural thing to happen.
0: Okay, see, I wouldn't have necessarily known that with that, these kind of emails that come in and scare.
1: It's all associated to the position of the Earth in the sun's heliosphere, which has been the catalyst of the change of our climate. And carbon dioxide has had no influence whatsoever to that. Carbon dioxide is not the cause of climate change. For anyone to turn around and say that it is generating heat and expelling that heat up into the atmosphere is, in my opinion, telling some white lies.
0: Let's be the other side of this, which is that I don't know about Australia, but I can tell you in the United States, we are having a lot of what appears to be extreme weather. And so a lot of people are very concerned. Now, in many of the interviews I've done, I found out that actually we're in a cooling period on the earth, that everybody's preparing for warming, but overall, we're in a climatic shift and that the sun is part of it. Do you agree?
1: Yes, I do. Since 1998, Our Earth has went to its peak in its local temperature, and since then it has been cooling down. It's been cooling down because on the 15th of February 2001, our Earth entered a negative phase of the Sun's heliosphere. And negative means that if you look at the Earth emitting a magnetic field in the northern hemisphere there as a negative, it means a negative to a negative, and that's a repulsion, okay? Okay. Right. And in the southern hemisphere, it's a negative to a positive, which is an attraction. And it's this particular effect that has changed our total barometric pressures that has generated this lower magnetic attractions to the Earth's emissions and its reaction to the sun's emissions. And between the two, that has changed our barometric pressures, as I've tried to outline to you a little, a little while ago. This will change more dramatically in the next two or three years, and we can expect a lot of these lower activities which we've just experienced in, uh, what's it, Hawaii? there, 270 270-odd-kilometre winds, and uh, your sandy thing is New York. Right. And the whole of the world will experience these sorts of things, I feel, between the latitudes between 40 to 50-odd degrees latitude north and south as we are experiencing at odd times here. I'm sure that up in the Thames in the British Isles there, that they are starting to feel the change in temperatures there.
0: I hear that Britain is supposed to be the coldest it's been in a long time.
1: That's in that same sort of harmonic effects of the magnetic field of our Earth to our heliosphere or our sun's magnetic field.
0: But what do you think about the sun's spots?
1: The sunspots are related to the intensity of the emissions of where the Earth is passing over to natural things, that the sun is able to produce these pressure points. And those pressure points on the sun is nothing unlike what we've got here on Earth with the cyclones. It's a circular generating energy which is coming from the activities of the magnetic field of the Earth.
0: Do you feel that you and I are going to undergo a pole shift of any kind? Are you of that frame of reference? Oh,
1: I don't believe we will experience a pole shift, but the magnetic north at the moment over the last 12 years has changed about 13 degrees to our east uh, at the moment in the southern hemisphere. I've got a uh, magnet floating off a nylon cord just oscillating here on the back window facing the northerly direction. I observe that as a quick reminder that there's either a low coming or a high coming because it has a swing to the left or the right of the North Magnetic Pole. And at the moment, it's pointing about three to four degrees east. In 1997, it was about 10 degrees west, so you can work that out. And I might add the North Magnetic Pole is up in Canada and it's moving about 35 kilometers, I think it was said, each year to the west. So it could be in uh, Siberia (laughs) in another 10 or 15 odd years. What
0: do you think about the effects of that movement?
1: It's not going to change that much. The thing that will change, of course, is anybody using a magnetic compass to find their way to point A or B, they'll have to have a, a magnetic correction every year between now and the next 10 to 15-odd years, I really feel that this is going to swing over there again. And I do suspect that many, many, many years ago, magnetic north was over in the Russian area anyway. It's a natural movement of the uh, magnetic emissions of the Earth, like it is for the South Magnetic Pole.
0: What do you envision the effects of magnetism are going to have on the Earth for us in the years to come? beyond the swinging east or west or north or south of the poles?
1: I feel as though it's not going to make any physical difference to us. Buildings will still stay upright. You're not going to have any, any real change to the physical nature of the emissions of the earth. The only real change that may occur will be the corrections of changing the magnetic north when you are flying or whether you're in a boat or whatever to make sure that you arrive at your destination. But now that we've got the satellites up there, that corrects all that irregularity information coming from the magnetic north.
0: What's your biggest challenge with your own frame of reference about magnetism?
1: My biggest challenge is to get out into the world that the basic concept of magnetism is been taught in schools is basically wrong They are claiming that Fleming's magnetic field travels, as you've already indicated before, from the north to the south. It's coming from both poles, and that changes the total concept of the understanding of magnetism in a lot of electrical applications, such as electric motors and whatever. I don't have a blame the top here, but my first motor that I designed and built here in Geelong and tested the local Deakin University some years ago had an efficiency rating of 98. And because of that, we then built another one, which is a 1-kilowatt unit. And we had a fire here on the 7th of February, 2001, and the person that was supporting us at that time lost his mansion and was unable to continue on financing us. But anyway, that's a long story, and unfortunately we haven't recovered from that.
0: So you're making magnetic motors? Is that your wish?
1: Yes. I believe it's possible to have a magnetic motor that will self-generate itself once it starts to rotate.
0: Have you heard of John Searle? Yes. And have you heard of Bedini? No. John Bedini, how about Dr. Cash?
1: I've heard of him. I haven't made any study of him.
0: There's quite a few people working in a similar interest and intent as you in the area of magnetism. We also had Dr. John Maluski. We did a whole piece on magnetricity, And he's convinced that if we don't begin to establish infrastructure in the magnetic realm for everything that we could be in for an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse that could take out our grid, both here in the U.S. and worldwide, and that we're sitting ducks for that.
1: Yes, I hear that, and I feel that that comment would be quite sound in its application. Where I am coming from is that we in Australia have not got the capacity to uh, produce the motor that I would like to see done. And if you have any listener over there that would be interested in what I have, they would only be too happy to make contact with me, and I'd be very grateful for their involvement. I haven't got a patent on it. I'm giving it to the world if they want it, because it's a method where we can produce electricity without the need of having any fossil fuels. Of course, you've got to have a lot of energy in the neodymium magnets, and in the production of the copper wire to make the coils. The effect that I have in the coil, for instance, for your listeners, is that I have designed a coil that with one pulse in, to get four pulses out of it. And that makes the efficiency of that particular coil even greater than the conventional coil of a motor.
0: Sounds like you're a Tesla fan.
1: <laughs> that is all based on my new understanding of magnetism hopefully I've put across a mental picture there that might challenge one of your listeners there to make contact to you and then you can put them onto me.
0: Do you have a website or not yet?
1: Not yet. I have a friend over in Lara some kilometers away and uh, he is, producing a uh, website for me at the moment. Okay. When that occurs, we can do perhaps something more positive in uh, getting this information out into the wide world.
0: You know, going to the patent office is a big mistake because that's where the dragon guards the gate of all discovery. Yes. The people at the patent office tip off the powers that be every time something is sent in. If you release something like that and you open source it and you do it at the right time with the right people in the right way, it can take hold faster than anything that has preceded it. The problem is that a lot of times people like yourself and others go about things in a business way with the wrong business people and the wrong people who block the flow of the project. And all it ends up doing is being held up or underfunded or interfered with. That's right. That's why I formed my company. The origin of the Rainmaking Company came because I myself am a pioneer and saw the need to set up something to bypass traditional financing and to get funds to discoveries and new knowledge and breakthroughs that had to be put into the world. And I didn't see anything like it at the time. My own problems bringing something that was advanced to the market caused me to create a company to do exactly that for others.
1: That's a wonderful thing that you are doing, and I hear that coming in loud and strong.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And the other piece of it, just to tell you, is that the company was formed based on magnetism, based on what I said years ago, which is that even companies have a magnetic field. They're animate. They're alive. They have consciousness. And so the protocols that we use, the communication that we use, the way we do things lives in that company. It's not just something that's independent of that company. And when you form a company from the perspective that it's alive and has consciousness, when you look at a whole system's approach to bringing something to the world, it will impact the way contracts are written, the way something is financed, the way things are disclosed, communication protocols, intellectual property issues, everything across the board. So you're not going to be the first and you're not going to be the last person to have a magnificent, important discovery to let loose into the world. And what I found also is just because somebody has the money doesn't mean they're the right person to finance it. Just because somebody has infrastructure doesn't mean that you're to turn things over to them. It's a very funny thing. I mean, This level of discernment for a product or a discovery requires the same or better discernment to bring it through. It's a whole different set of challenges. The business of bringing it through, making it a successful venture is totally different than coming up with the product or the discovery. It's a separate but connected part, as you know.
1: How true. How true. You've given a very good advert for yourself there. Well,
0: you know, I never talk about what I do. I never talk about the other part (laughs) of what I do. And I'll, I'll tell you something interesting that I have sat with more pioneers. I kid you not, Thomas where I've looked at what they're doing and the way they're doing it, and I knew it was a dead duck, and it didn't matter how great what they had was. I knew the way they were going about it and the people they were dealing with and their lack of protocol would get either them killed, the project killed, or the whole thing disenfranchised and basically marginalized and never get off the ground. I mean, after you've done this for 28 years, you usually know pretty quickly. Right.
1: Well, just a little recap there, little story, which is true. About eight years ago, when I started to first make comments about climate change and magnetism, I had a knock on the door, and a gentleman in black came and see me, sat me down on the chair, and told me to go and buy a fishing line and go fishing.
0: Are you serious?
1: Yep. And that challenged me even more.
0: Here's the thing. Now that you've seen a UFO, we can actually talk about the next level of this whole thing. What a great deal of the public does not know is that all pioneers, all inventors are watched. Every single one of them. There is not one pioneer that isn't monitored. (laughs) And when I say monitored, I don't even mean at the human level. I mean, it's odd. It may be odd to someone who doesn't have that frame of reference. Not shocking at all. Not shocking at all that you would be visited by who you were visited from. Mm. Because, in a sense, a lot of classified technology is classified, not because it's a national security issue, but because the folks that really run the show do not want the simplicity and the ease for energy power to be made available to the world and take out the entire need for not only the uh, grid, this new smart grid they're putting in that's run by microwaves.
1: I back every word that you've just said. The one sort of energy which is being produced by much money being poured into it to produce a wind power. To me, that is a furphy.
0: It's a what? It's a
1: furphy. It's not true. Okay. There are windmills around here in Victoria that have been produced. And I'm sure if you went out there and had a look at them now, which we can't see from here, they would not be turning because there's no wind out there of 35 kilometers to push them around. And if anyone is relying on that particular windmill to cook on a stove or run an appliance within their home, they would say, hey, I've got no power. Where are they going to get the power from? From another source of a coal-fired electrical manufacturing area or a hydroelectric one because they are a natural cycle and this other one is just something that is not economical to produce. In Europe there, they're freezing. What's the good of having something up there that's supposed to generate electricity that's frozen?
0: See, I think that people need to just prototype their stuff and start circulating it like mad. And when I say circulate, I mean get it out there. Start getting it to as many people as possible with speed. You can kill people, you can kill projects, but you cannot kill the knowledge.
1: I'm prepared to share my knowledge with anybody who wants to hear it and see the demonstrations that I have. Unfortunately, I'm not in a financial position to be able to say, well, okay, I'll be over there on your doorstep in America tomorrow morning.
0: No, I understand. They would
1: have to see their way clear to uh, either get me on the Internet or knock on the front door, and I'll see them there.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. I just want to take a minute or two and share with you that we really appreciate you listening and sharing with your friends and loved ones and colleagues. And if you like the show, show it. Write something really cool, really nice on It's Rainmaking Time at iTunes. We have our own store there. And like our Facebook page. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, feel free to do that. We send a bi monthly newsletter out. And if you like it, share it with all your friends. Another thing we wanted to share with you is that somebody stepped in and started to do transcriptions for us. We have some transcriptions already done. If you would be interested, please drop us a line. We will be posting the transcriptions that are ready for sale. That's another way to assist the show. And for those of you who are in a position to donate $10 a month or $20 a month or more, please do so. Action speaks louder than words. We appreciate you. And thanks again for listening to It's Rainmaking Time. And back to the show. When you were visited by people in black coats, how many were at your door? I one. One? Describe him.
1: He was in a trench coat sort of thing, and uh, he was in his mid-30s, about 38, well-spoken, very dominant in his attitude. He uh, gave me the impression that if I kept on doing what I was doing, then something might happen to me. That was about the strength of it.
0: Did he come in your house?
1: Yes, yes.
0: What did you say to him?
1: I didn't say that much because I was a little bit uh, apprehensive as to uh, what his application was.
0: Did he say where he was from, or who sent him?
1: No, <laughs> he just wanted to come in because he didn't want to stand outside or least for the neighbours watching. But I've overcome that. I've accepted that, and drove me on to do what I have now completed.
0: Very exciting. About
1: two thousand two, two thousand and three period.
0: What's your since co- then?
1: I've written a book, and we've also got out two technical papers. The incredible truth. Oceans are not accelerating in Australia or in the world. That's put out by energy and environmental journals over the UK. And I might add that we have another one on New Zealand. The climate there is not increasing over the period. I'm in the process at the moment of putting out a challenge against Fleming's continuous magnetic flow, and I haven't had any results from that one yet.
0: What is Fleming's continuous magnetic flow, and why is it important for you to be contending with it?
1: A lot of the electrical component parts are designed around the fact that the magnetic field is a continuous magnetic field flow on the external magnetic field flow. And I have established that that is not so. It's coming from both bulbs. And that's one of the experiments which I've got written up in my book in color. It's on page 54.
0: Okay, great. Perfect. So is there anything you'd like to say in closing right now to the audience?
1: I would like your listeners to have a rethink of the understanding of magnetism Yes. in that the magnetic fields emit from both poles of any bar magnet or any form of magnetism and that this is the basic cause of our moon to oscillate between our poles and that the moon is oscillating between our poles because it is being pushed by the two magnetic poles of Earth We know them as the North Magnetic Pole and the South Magnetic Pole. It's this understanding that gives us the principle of our Earth orbiting within the sun's two magnetic spheres as well. And this is the controlling factor of our climate, not the effects of carbon dioxide.
0: I want to thank you for taking your time to share your discoveries and to share different aspects of climate with us, as well as to share some of your personal experiences that you've had. Thank you so much, and thank you for also commenting at length on the sea-level show that we did here at It's Rainmaking Time.
1: Well, it's a frightening thought that in the uh, presentation of The Incredible Truth, whatever it was, put out by your Mr. Al Gore, that his presentation of getting up onto that forklift and saying that this is carbon dioxide right up here and the humans have caused all this, that was a total lie because that particular graph was one that had been reversed, and that is showing in my PowerPoint. It's a frightening thing that he is capable of doing this to uh, frighten the world that, okay, our oceans are rising because of the ice melting on the North and South Pole. Very simple proof to show that ice does not expand. If you have a glass of water, fill it up to the top and you put two ice cubes in it. Let the water then disperse and let the ice then melt. There will be no further flow over the top of that glass. Why? Well, because ice, when it expands, it expands by minus four degrees, right? It expands, and when it melts, it contracts. It can't possibly rise up anymore. And the other little case of carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide cannot generate any more power from within because it's got nothing there to generate itself. It's like a thermos flask. You put hot water in the thermos flask. The thermos flask is designed to withhold the heat emission, but it doesn't get any hotter. It doesn't boil any further. It maintains its temperature until it's at times that that temperature slowly decreases and it stops and it gets down to cool and cold.
0: I have a last question for you. When you saw an extraterrestrial object, how did you know it was not of this Earth?
1: It was circular, traveling at an enormous speed, Its arc of visual was probably about 80 degrees, and that traveled at 25,000 feet within four to five seconds, and it changed direction twice. Wow. So it's impossible for any aircraft or any jet to be able to travel at that sort of speed and to make no
0: sound. Do you think that the military here in the United States, the deep-level military or Navy, possibly is capable of having that kind of classified technology and using it from many years ago?
1: I can't say yes and I cannot say no. Put it this way, in the Air Force I was working with a segment of the Air Force known as the Aircraft Research and Development Unit and in that particular section we were virtually sworn that we weren't able to talk about anything that we were doing and I guess every Marine over there would have the same sort of characteristic. They would not be able to talk about what they are working with. But I do suspect that what you've outlined to me could be true.
0: It's a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Okay, and I do appreciate your time in making the effort to uh, re- initially make contact with me on that Dropbox.
0: <laughs> My pleasure. And thank you. Thank you very much, Thomas Watson.